What do you think of when you hear the word hero? As we make our way through this pandemic, hero has become an everyday phrase. Not just because people have exhibited extraordinary strength and bravery in the face of something so big and so scary, but because our understanding of the word has shifted. The 43% has always been a show about possibility in business, in motherhood, and in life. This week, I wanted to talk to two women who have been heroes of possibility, who always looked forward no matter the hurdle. My own mom, Maureen Veza, and my mother-in-law, Annie Reuter. And as you listen to this week's episode, I'd love for you to consider who are the heroes in your life and how in your own way can you say thank you? I'm Claudia Reuter, and this is the third season of The 43%. Hi, Mom. Thanks for um, coming on to my podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Hi, daughter Claudia. (laughs) So, obviously, you know me better than anyone, and if you wouldn't mind sharing your story of what your experience was as you completed college and you thought about career, what were your plans at that point and why? Oh, I think when I graduated from college, um, I majored in elementary education and minored in mathematics. And my desire at the time was to be an elementary school teacher. So I taught both second grade and third grade before I had my children. And when you had, so when you had Jen, right, my older sister, that was 1974, did you have any thoughts about going back to work at that point? Well, at that point I in my life, yes, I wanted to stay home with my children. I, I enjoyed my elementary school teaching career, but I thought while my children were young, I would be a stay-at-home mom. And it worked out well because... Jennifer was 16 months old when you and your sister were born, and I think it would have been very, very difficult to go back right away. So I was happy that I made that decision to stay home and be a stay-at-home mom. Obviously, I have a twin sister, and as you just mentioned, Jen's only 16 months older. Can you share a little bit about what a day in the life of a mom with three, essentially three babies, was like at that point in the 1970s? When I had the surprise twins, you were a surprise baby. I remember sitting in the hospital in my bed thinking, okay, I can't just wing it. I can't just go home and say, well, we'll see how this works out. I had to come up with a plan. So I decided in order to manage with the three babies, we were going to have to have a plan and a schedule. So if everyone got on a schedule, and we followed that schedule, we could manage and everybody could be taken care of properly, changed on time, fed, and given lots of hugs and cuddles and all the attention that they needed. So I thought it was a matter of multitasking and getting everyone on a schedule. Do you remember what our schedule looked like, what your schedule looked like for us at that point? Okay, I remember, well, in the early days, I remember, Uh, setting an alarm for about 15 minutes before I anticipated somebody waking up so I could get one baby changed and and fed and then the second baby hopefully would be waking up after I fed and changed the first baby 
and I would take my older daughter, Jennifer, and sit her in the high chair and get her fed while we were feeding one baby and had the, another baby in the swing. That's how the morning, the very early morning went. It sounds, it sounds so crazy, honestly. So, so you, you, that's how your early morning went. And then how did you, you know, there's so many articles out there right now and books on how to get your baby to sleep. Like, how, did any of us sleep? How did you get us to sleep with the tiny babies? Um, fortunately, all three of my babies were very good babies. And they did start sleeping through the night at a fairly young age. And I also had a little talk with them. I remember sitting them all in their little infant seats and saying, okay, girls, other people are sleeping at night. So that's when we're going to sleep. And I don't know how well you took all of this in, but you did go to sleep very well. We were on a pretty good sleep schedule, but all day long it was nonstop because we'd get everyone fed and changed. And then it was laundry and baths we used to do baths in the morning and then it just seemed like by the in the that first year by the time we got everybody fed and changed it was time to start all over again that's pretty much what I remember about that so this was the 1970s right and it wasn't till 1978 that the pregnancy discrimination act passed I mean did you have I mean you were you were a math minor so you you actually did the things that so many girls and women are encouraged to do now, which is actually pursue careers or pursue um, education in STEM. You mentioned that you studied early, you know, elementary education and you had a career as a teacher. Can you tell a little bit more about what led you to that career and not say into a different area related to your math background? Oh, that's an interesting question because I remember um, being told that I was, I had a good math aptitude and someone told me that it was a shame that I was a girl with a math aptitude because being good in math is wasted on a girl. Did you think those words impacted your, your decision on your career or what you decided to pursue? You know, I think it did because I thought that becoming an elementary school teacher was an acceptable role for a woman, but um, when I thought of, say, being an accountant or something where you just put your math skills to work, there probably were female accountants, but somehow I didn't feel that that was a career path that I should choose because that was more for men. I remember thinking that way. Yeah. You know, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself as a young woman in, in college or starting out in your career, would you give yourself any different advice on what steps to take or different messages? I think I'm accepting of my life and how it turned out. I feel like I became what I was meant to be, but I didn't put those restrictions on my own daughters when they were growing up. If anything, I think that the role of being a stay-at-home mom is underrated. Um, that's how I felt. I felt that being a stay-at-home mom with three babies required a lot of planning, a lot of discipline, a lot of patience. and it's not really valued that much. People tend to think that if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're, you're just hanging out. You know, you're not really accomplishing that much. And what was, what was the hardest part of that for you? Just, oh, I guess if it was a day when I was tired and I couldn't give in to being tired and taking a nap myself, I had to just keep pushing myself. You know, my husband traveled 
quite a bit. And he helped, of course, when he was home, but there were times when he was gone two or three days at a time. So I had to figure out how to manage on my own. When a, when one of the parent is traveling and, you know, we've seen it now in my little family, right? It's the other person sometimes feels like a single parent for a few days because there's no, there's no support from sun up to sun down, right? Right. Yeah. You just have to deal with the situation you're given. And I was, I looked on the bright side that he was working hard and providing for his family and doing the best that he could do. And he had the best interest of his family at heart. So that was just our situation and you have to accept it and keep chugging along as they say. You know, as your surprised daughter, I want to thank you for doing that because I think it created a really strong foundation for the lives that we all are in right now and still developing ourselves. I don't want you to think that we don't value that because I certainly do. Oh, thank you, honey. And what's joyful, and you can see for yourself now that your own children are growing up, being a mother of young children can be a very challenging career, but it's also the most rewarding when you see your children grow up beautifully and accomplished and happy and healthy and then living their own lives. Like I look, I look back and I have no regrets about stepping out of the workforce for the first few years that the kids were little. I think with, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi was highlighted in an article a few years ago because prior to where she is now, she was a stay at home mom. And she talked about how that actually prepared her like no other job for her current career. And so I, and I personally hope that people start to give, give more than lip service, right. To the value that stay at home caregivers actually provide and, and the impact that actually has on the lives of so many people. I think so. And one more thing, it is interesting though, <clears throat> as I meet people and people will ask, you know, someone may ask me, oh, how many children do you have? Or how many grandchildren? And, and I say, I have three daughters and, you know, one is was 16 months old when I had twins. Most women will say, oh, how did you manage? But most men will still say, oh, that's nice. You know, they don't really think about what went into managing. So we still have the gender differences there where the women are more in tune to what goes into the child rearing and men feel, oh, that's fine. You know, that's fun or that's nice. Now, later, when we were a little bit older, though, you did go back to work to like in the traditional workforce. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, first, I went back to school when you were in elementary school. I got a, a degree in computer science. So I have a master's in computer science education. And then when you were in college, right, I was a computer technician for the elementary schools and middle school in our town. You had made a conscious decision to stay at home with us. And you, you mentioned like all the, the different skills that you deployed to make that a positive experience. What was it that caused, and you, at that point, you had already been a teacher, so you had a degree. What made you want to pursue an additional education in computer science at that point? Because that would have been like the mid-1980s, right? Right. I think I wanted to just challenge myself and see what else I could learn and what else I could do. So that's what I did. I think today is, you know, everyone today is realizing that in order to stay on top of things, you have to be willing to learn new things and be a lifelong learner. And 
I, I remember being inspired as a young kid that you were like just continuing to learn things that to a lot of people seem really hard. Like computer science isn't the easiest thing you could try to learn in your, in your spare time. I also remember when you went back at one point, dad put dishwashing soap in the dishwasher and our kitchen was flooded with bubbles. I have a vague memory of that. Oh, I do remember that because I used, I was going to night school and I would call each evening to see how everything was going. And I remember hearing the message that you took all the towels out of the cabinet to clean up all the soap suds. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> well, mom, thank you for making the time to share a little bit about some of the experiences you had as a mom and someone who's super smart and has done so many different things at different points in a, in a, a pretty inspiring way. And, um, I really love you, and thank you for making the time to to share a little bit about this on the 43%. I'll love you too, Claudia. Textbooks and worksheets can make learning boring. Instead, why not make learning fun and interactive for your kid? Bring education to life with little passports. My nephews have been staying inside, so I decided to give them a gift that opens up their world. Little Passports is a subscription box full of toys and games for children of all ages that educate and entertains. The Little Passports box is delivered right to your door every month, and each package contains exciting hands-on learning for kids three and up. Feed their inner scientists with the Science Expeditions Pack, which is full of cool experiments to try. You can even make your own slime. Or learn about what makes every state so great with the USA Edition subscription. There are even boxes for younger ones that are right for their learning levels. I can't wait to play along with my own nephews during our next video chat. And Little Passport subscription box is award-winning and has the parent-tested, parent-approved seal. For $12.95 per month, there's tons to explore right from your own home with Little Passports. And just for our listeners, Little Passports is offering 15% off the price of any subscription. That means your child could be flying rockets or looking through a microscope in no time. Use offer code 43PERCENT at checkout for 15% off your order. That's 43% at littlepassports.com for 15% off your order today. Working from home? Stay healthy, focused, and energized with fresh, delicious meals delivered straight to your door from Sakara. Sakara is a nutrition company that believes wellness begins with what you eat. Their signature nutrition program brings the transformational power of plant nutrition to your home in the form of fresh, plant-rich, ready-to-eat meals. Made with organic ingredients and powerful superfoods, each meal is expertly designed to boost immunity, improve energy, support gut health and digestion, and get skin glowing. From hearty salads and nutrient-dense granolas to savory flatbreads and seasonal fruit parfaits, their ever-changing menu of creative, chef-crafted meals makes clean eating delicious. All of Sakara's meals are 100% plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. 
In addition to their delicious meals, Sakara also offers daily essentials like supplements and herbal teas to complete your wellness routine and support overall health and vitality. To boost immunity, try their best-selling daily probiotic blend or detox water drops with pure chlorophyll. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their order when they go to sakara.com slash 43 or enter 43 at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash 43 to get 20% off your order. Sakara.com slash 43. Well, hello, mom. Thanks for joining the 43%. I'm pretty excited that it's almost Mother's Day and I get to interview my mother-in-law. Well, thanks for inviting me. Okay. So, I mean, you were you were there with me at the beginning when we started talking about trying to get more stories out of just the nonlinear paths that are out there, the opportunities that are out there for people that sometimes we don't we don't really pay enough attention to. And That'd be super great to have a conversation with you because you have a really interesting story of motherhood and career. And I was wondering if you could start to share a little bit of that. Well, uh, motherhood is is something that always came very naturally to me. You know, I grew up in the 60s and my goal in life was to get married and have a whole bunch of children. I really never wanted a career other than to be a mom. And um, I was very fortunate that that was provided for me and had a great life and had three wonderful, wonderful children, um, raised them all. And when they all left, then it hit me that I needed to do something different or more. I've always, I always had little part-time jobs with the kids based around their schedule. And uh, I don't know, somewhere in the late mid to late 80s, early 90s, I realized that they were going to be going and I was going to be needing to have something to do. So I decided to go to college, go back to college and see what I, see what was out there. What could I do? Um, and I went to school and got a degree in human services and was very excited about what I saw as the possibilities that were going to open up as the kids went off and did their life. Unfortunately, or turns out to be fortunately, but I could not get a job in human services anywhere and was very disappointed. And then one day there was an ad in the paper for a job at Ridgefield Library. And it required a degree, not an MLS, but a degree, and having had worked with children. And so I went and there and got the got the job and was there for five years. And when I walked into that library, I, it was like I'd landed on a planet that I wasn't even aware that I was looking for. It was like coming home to everything inside of me that I'd done my whole life. And now here was a venue and a, a stage in which I could read books and be with children. And it was just wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And I had a five-year run there with chess clubs and reading clubs, all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And then things really started to change. The last child went off to college. Dad closed his business. We sold our house in Sherman. 
And at the same time, a job came up in the Westport Library. And so I applied for that and got it and spent the next 14 years just continuing and doing wonderful things with children and books and programs and puppetry and all kinds of stuff. Just felt like <laughs> the most blessed person in the on the planet. I've told you, I've even run into people now all these years later who are like, oh, Miss Annie is your mother-in-law. I mean, you you really built a lasting reputation there. But I think what's so interesting about it too is that here you were, you it's not just that you switched careers or went back into the workforce. You literally started everything in what your early 40s, right? Yes. Yeah. I was 45. I remember saying to friends of mine, I'm going to be 45 in five years. Whether I do something about it or not, I'm still going to be 45. And I have to do something different. And they both encouraged me, you know, to just look into going back to school and getting a degree. So I actually started in Westport a month after I turned 50 and spent the next 14 years there. See, and that's amazing because so I think there's so much angst, uh, and you and I have talked about this, I think, especially a lot of younger women now coming out of college, like because they've put so much into it and the world of possibility is there for them right now, in this, in other sense, it's people, there's still this narrative running, like you got to have everything figured out by the time you're, you know, 25, it feels like for a lot of people, you basically live two lives. You stay at home mom for what, 20 plus years and then started college and then had a, a pretty great run and in, in career in a environment that you fell in love with. When you were at the, when you were at the library, you did, you mentioned you did a lot of children's programming, you know, so I imagine you got to interact with a lot of young parents, a lot of nannies. Did you have any observations about what was happening in the world of work with, with families coming into the library? Yes, I did. It was very interesting being the age I was, um, and these were young moms, and having been there myself, a lot of the angst that I would hear them talk about was getting into the right preschool or special lessons. And I would sit there and listen to them and understand where they were coming from, but at the same time knowing it really didn't make any difference. Because I remember thinking the same thing when I had my children, you know, like they have to, they have to get into preschool, they have to be socialized, they have to know their ABC, they have to know all this kinds of stuff. In both libraries I was in, there was a very strong sense of competition. You know, I would try to help them see that they were assigning um, a value to that that really, they was gonna, they were gonna find out it really didn't matter. Um, what mattered was their, you know, being able to be with their children and raise them and, and assign values to them that were going to help them as they got along. And it really, they listened. You know, it was funny. I was actually just talking to my, my mom and she was saying how, you know, she was really good at math. She remembers being told it's really too bad that this is wasted on a girl. She just didn't feel like it was a possibility for her. Do you remember feeling like you got different guidance or different advice because of your gender at that age? I majored in socialization in high school, and I was very good at it. And the idea of graduating and then having to go to another school to learn something else was something I had no desire to do. I'm the oldest of seven. And so college was not something that 
my parents ever really talked much about. It, it wasn't expected, I don't think. The friends that I had, nobody went to college. And, you know, the social part of, of teenage years and growing up was more important to me than the academia. That's, that's a definite short, but I, I love to read. I would read 24 seven if I could. Um, but beyond that, school was something you just had to get through. But then when I, you know, life just kept rolling along and, you know, money was getting tight and things were happening and I had a, there was a couple lived across the street from us and they were going to Springfield College in Massachusetts as non-traditional students. And I would have conversations with them and they would say, you know, come on, why don't you do it? I'm like, not me. You know, I couldn't wait to get out, wait to get out of school. But then, you know, life, life happens. And I remember a friend of mine asked me to be a lunchroom lady with her for a day. Somebody was sick. And at the end, we're cleaning everything up. And I said to the the lady, the other lady, I said, where's the dishwasher? And she said, you're the dishwasher. (laughs) I'm the dishwasher. And then they said, are you full-time or part-time? I said, I'm one time. And this was it. And I went home and I went right across the street to uh, Sheila and Jim McConnell. And I said, I have to go to school or I'm never going to make more than $6.50 an hour for the rest of my life. How did you find the resilience to, to stay on that path? It took me two and a half years to, to finish. Um, and it was, it was like, it, it was not a choice. It, you just have to keep doing it. You have to keep going. Um, and I remember the typewriter at the time, it was a typewriter and it had one little screen and that was, that was your screen. And it would show like four words at a time as you were typing and I write this 250 page document on all my life's experiences on this little, little thing with this little Green. <laughs> and every time you made a mistake, it would beep. And I had this desk and I would, I it had to be in just the right place. And I remember poor Alex, I would kept saying, you know, help me move the desk to another room. Help me move the desk. And one day he was just like, Ma, it doesn't make any difference where the desk is. And I said, yes, it does. It has to be in just the right place for me to do this writing. <laughs> you had to move furniture to write. That's, I, I get that. Um, and so, but you you shared a while ago something that I thought was really interesting to you. you. You shared an experience of at one point not wanting to go on, and a professor who gave you some hope or some inspiration. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, that was that was amazing. Um, we would go up to Springfield Springfield Mass and go to Springfield College and stay for the weekend. And I was overwhelmed this one time, many times, but this one time I was overwhelmed and. And I was in the stairwell and I was beside myself and this wonderful professor came out and came over and looked at me and he said, what's wrong? And I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't even know what I want to be. These people around me know what they're doing and they know why they're doing it. And I don't, I don't have a direction. And he, he said to me, he said, do you, do you know where I was in 1975? And I said, no. And he said, I was, I was getting my bachelor's and, and in 1980, I was getting my master's. And, and he said, do you know why all of that happened? And I, I was like, what? No, why did it happen? And he said, so I could be standing here today in front of you telling you, you will make it. You will get there. And I've never forgotten that, um, that this man, this person would take such an interest. And he just really encouraged me that 
you know, these things that all happen, they all happen for a reason and they all have a purpose. And just, just one class at a time. That's all you have to do is one class at a time. And then you will finish. That like it makes me cry hearing it every time you tell that story. It's just it, it's so. I mean, I even now. I mean, at every stage of my life, sometimes I'm like, "What am I doing? Why am I?" And the idea that you're that we're also interconnected, that we're interconnected in a way we don't usually acknowledge. And I think it's something that's actually coming to light right now. I mean, that example of the professor who you know, identified that somehow his path intersected with yours in a way that was bringing you what you needed. We're all interconnected in this other way. And with COVID, we're all, you know, everything's disrupted. And yet it's also highlighting how, how much we all do depend on each other. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it does. And the, the impact that people can have on each other. And if you have a choice, what a gift to positively impact people rather than negatively or fault finding. And, you know, this, this wonderful man impacted my life. And, and I know that all the little, the little kids in the library, um, I had an impact on their life and what a gift to positively impact people to, you know, to enable them to see the best that they can be and that there are opportunities out there and they're, they're, have just as much right to try for them as anybody else. That's it for this episode of The 43%. We'll be back next week with another conversation with an inspiring woman. If you could take just a minute to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks again. The 43% is produced by me, Claudia Reuter, Maddie Foley, and the entire team at Wonder Media Network. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. You can follow Wonder Media on Twitter at WMN Media and on Instagram at WMN.media. I'm on Twitter too at Reuter underscore Claudia. You can also learn more about each episode at www.the43percent.com. Talk to you next week and thanks again for listening. Women of color are too often forgotten in most media coverage. From Wonder Media Network, The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics is all about amplifying the voices of women of color. It's the one-stop shop for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. Host Ashanti Golar speaks with influential activists, politicians, journalists, and more who are playing a transformative role in the 2020 elections and beyond. From Stacey Abrams to Joy Ann Reed, these women are changing the face of politics. Listen and subscribe to The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics wherever you get your podcasts today. Hey listeners, with Mother's Day around the corner, are you looking for a unique way to tell the mother in your life how much she means to you? Never fear, WMN has you covered. Forgo the classic gifts and purchase a customized episode of Encyclopedia Womanica starring Mom. Head to wondermedianetwork.com and fill out a few questions. 
For just $100, we'll make a special podcast episode all about your mom that will no doubt be a big hit this Mother's Day. All submissions are due by May 6th and will be delivered on Mother's Day, May 10th. For more information, visit wondermedianetwork.com. 